welcome to Eternal Turtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Bluckman. Phil, how's it going, man? Dude, how many contested game balls are you going to play in 8Cast? Contested game ball. I'll have to read that uh, once we get to that part of the cast. If it goes uncontested, it's just five cards. That's yeah, just draw yourself five sweet cards. Sweet, <laughs> yeah. sweet so, cards. Uh, I want to I start the episode off by talking about your your journey over the last week with, with Miracles, because you had that 4-0, and then you had a, a 1K on Saturday. Yeah, I first want to kick things off with I, I want to apologize to the greater community at large because I've gotten some feedback that I've been overly negative for a, a good portion of a lot of the last like X months of episodes on the format and I hear that and I want to refocus and lean towards the positives of things because it sucks to be the negative Nancy all the time and nobody wants that and it's not interesting so I, I hear the feedback and I appreciate people uh, feeling comfortable enough to like let me know and I'll, I'm going to like focus more on the positives which is you know what what this episode is going to steer into a bit we'll talk some lost caverns of Ixalans. we'll talk e-dubs for my control fellow control mages out there we'll talk about some control zach maybe we'll talk about your uh your waffling on legolas's quick reflexes and how I'm waffling how quick, on everything how, right now how, how quick those are i want to jump in phil and say real fast i personally appreciate the like how critical you are about the format i think i think that that it's necessary to be at least somewhat critical but i yeah no one, no one wants wants somebody crapping on it the entire time but i think i think it is important to at least look look at the format with a critical eye and see what could be better you know i yeah. i I personally didn't think that you were you were going overboard or I would have said something to you about like, oh man, Phil, Phil, like... <laughs> yeah, it's just framing, right? It, it's presentation yeah. because like the struggle and the constant, you know, trying to look at everything from a macro sense of like how to navigate and attack a, a, the format as it constantly turns you know, at a really rapid pace these days, the, the presentation of how to attack it is, is probably can be shifted a little bit. So it doesn't, it doesn't just sound like it's constant bitching. You know what I mean? It's a control uh, player's that, nightmare out there. It's tough because the format is, is, is wide in no regard. And like, there's, a, there's a lot of things that, you know, punish this, the type of stuff that I like to play. So like, I'm looking everything through that particular lens, but that doesn't necessarily translate. And I totally get that. I hear it. And I'm I'm going to continue to be critical about the things that I think we can the the softnesses in the in the format that we can attack to like you know particularly with a, an event like Edubs coming up Edubs EW Eternal Weekend Edubs the format as it's shaking out with some shakeups coming from the Commander product for Lord of the Rings which we'll get into EW pre- presents not only like an interesting thing where the format is sort of settled a little bit post Lord of the Rings you know people are sort of seeing like okay. We've, we've sort of adjusted to Bowmaster being in the meta and how we're supposed to navigate that and card choices and whatnot. Beanstalk has sort of overhauled the control decks and like how we're supposed to like navigate those things. 8Cast now is learning to adjust and, and, and the, or the other artifact decks, if you will. I've seen Painter make some adjustments too, where the adjustments that I've seen from a lot of different decks is making it difficult as a control mage to figure out what exactly to, to bring into the, to the thing. Like I was just talking with uh, Andrew Ahern before this episode of trying to figure out what the sideboard is with like how many Veil of Summers to play. Veil of Summers like one of those cards where it's like yeah if you catch the thought sees it's awesome but if you ever navigate a position where you inadvertently like turn the veil of summer face up like then it's really bad so there, there's there's some dancing around to be done there but i mean if we want to talk about where your head's at because i know that you're yeah. bouncing around like a couple of decks at this point for freedom yeah. and i imagine that like your your mindset is probably similar to like a lot of people who aren't just like hard and fast stubborn control mages like me who are only gonna ever play one thing yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, so you're you're the control mage, I'm the budget mage, right? Like, I have to play within the bounds of what I have. Like, I just got an, a new job, so eventually I'll be able to buy back into the format, play, yeah. play with dual lands and stuff like that. But right now, 
I might borrow uh, cards to go to go play Infect at EU uh, EW, and that'll you know that'll be a rarity for me because I normally I don't really like to play with what I have. But then I've also got the options of uh, Eight Cast, which which I've been doing quite well with, and Death Shadow. And I think the tough part about Eight Cast is you know what you were saying about the control thing is is it's hard once everyone knows what you're up to. Like a year ago, Eight Cast was was kind of an not an unknown quantity. But it was it was a punch, you know. Like you you saw that deck, and you were like, "Well, I haven't even really devoted sideboard slots to, to a, a deck like this yet. It's doing well, but it's not like the number one deck in the format." And then, it, like you know, maybe two months from now, it was like the deck to play. You know, I think when I went to when we went to EW, uh, I was yeah, I played uh, I played eight cast, but I played mm-hmm. you know uh, pretty uh, a pretty stock list at the time that didn't play the automatons or anything like that. And now we're looking at the automaton version and I, and you know like it's swifty time is doing pretty well with it we just had we just saw the post from tony scaponi where he uh exoed uh the challenger just recently well he was playing um, po that was a combo deck, PO, which is yeah, different. PO, yeah, yeah but his his final match was uh, was against with swifty time mm-hmm. uh it's swifty time and um that list looks interesting one of the things I, I kind of liked about that list is I love Emery. Like, I think Emery is just, like, one of the best designs for, for a card in a really long time. And, you know, it gets around your own chalice, but it's a one-drop. There's also It just has so much going for it. Feeds your yard. Overall, like, a very cool card to play. And, and it's, like, very flavorful. It's the Lady in the Lake, right? This list that it's 50 Time just played uh, skews a couple of those to play main deck uh, Hole Breachers, which I kind of like because I think the deck, I, I'm not... Not 100% sold personally on Automaton is like the way to go. And yeah. I'm still a little, it's a little too aggressive for me. I want to be drawing more cards and that deck basically skews away from the the eight cast and goes like more five cast. It cuts uh, thought monitors and stuff. And I really just loved playing, playing like eight to, you know, draw twos in the deck and really just mm-hmm. Turning through your deck and figuring it out. So I, I'm I'm a little like I'm not sure what to do with that. And then you've got you know you've got Metallic Rebuke in there, which I think is is a great include because it's basically like Force of Wills, you know, five through eight that just appear in the deck as well. So there's that. I, I could play Infect. I like Infect. I think that Infect, especially for the next few weeks, is going to be sort of a unknown for a lot of people. A lot of people are going to be caught off guard by that deck, and especially if they aren't playing from now until uh, Eternal Weekend, they're going to definitely be caught off guard with it. There's something that Boston Roll, Brian Koval said um, when we interviewed him right after his win with Cephalid Breakfast in June, was, I want to be in a place where I'm not losing to people who just own old cards and live in Baltimore. I don't want to lose to people who own old cards and live in Pittsburgh. So I, I want to be really solid with whatever deck I'm playing, but I want to make sure I don't lose to a guy who just like owns meltdowns. I, I want to I want to be at the top at the top of my level. I'd like to I'd like to bring home something uh, for the cast. You know, like that's 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 where my head head's at. I, I, I'm done proving that like the deck the deck I'm playing is good is good or not. The decks I'm generally playing are top tier decks within my budget range so what i need to do at uh at eternal weekend is determine which of those decks i want to play and then get and then nail that down and get in as many reps as i can on on magic online with that deck because Mm -hmm. i think that is getting that practice in is going to be the most important part of this whole thing do you feel a cast is is positioned well enough or does it need more adjustments beyond hole preacher that's well. That's the problem. I think. I think we gotta. We gotta check with what's uh, with what it Swifty time decides to do over the next uh, 
in the next few weeks. But I think I, I think that the deck is going to skew more towards the whole breacher plan. And it's it's a plan that like works with your deck too, because getting those treasures pumps your whole team, you know, pumps your uh, constructs and stuff like that. Obviously, it's good to just have extra mana lying around. It doesn't make it any less soft to uh, meltdown, and meltdown's the real problem here. And and even like over the last week, I played in a I played in an event, and my opponent slammed down an energy field, and I was like. Mm-hmm. Or energy flux. And I was like, all right, like that ends my game. There's nothing, there's not a lot you can do. Like you can basically float a bunch of mana and get like one more attack in. But you know, if you're losing all of your artifacts, your constructs are terrible. It stays on the board. So it's even worse than uh, Meltdown. At least you can build back from Meltdown. You can't build back from energy flux. And if that's where the meta's headed, as far as hate pieces are concerned, that's not the deck for me to be playing. I have seen Hull Breacher. I get it. I understand why why the whole breacher would get the nod, particularly with the artifact synergies off treasures and whatnot. Yeah, but it's it's interesting to me that that's the that was the place that people went without having a way to compel your opponent to draw cards. Because I remember when whole breacher was around with like the LED echo, right? And it was yeah. just like the sort of like get you deck where it would just go end step whole breacher LED or play whole breacher LED echo and like wheel the opponent out of the game. Well, the three two that, one turn one is still good, right? Like if I'm sitting across from a whole breacher, like. Yes, it means that I have to like, you know, navigate and and play a little bit slower and around it and whatnot. Does that make it actually a valuable tool for ACAST? Because it's the one, the rest of your deck is this proactive machine. And then you just slot in this contextual card that's reactive and only good if your opponent agrees to it or or if, yeah. or if they present you a, a position to get them. And I'm like, if, if you're the, the deck that's spamming and you want to like, lock down the opponent for like playing high resources because like Acast is obviously very good at playing high resources that's that's one of the better reasons to play the deck in the first place too i know that like maybe there's tools that we're not thinking of you know i know there's some stuff from cavern of ixalant like there's that new legendary blue artifact that you know taps for two that you can activate abilities for maybe there's something there maybe there's not who knows i remember for a little while there was also on like the more staxy style of Acast where people were playing things like tangle wire stuff like that where if the issue that the deck has is keeping up with the opposing decks that are just drawing a bunch of cards like if if you aren't able to bury them anymore then if there aren't really good sufficient tools at punishing the actual drawing of cards you know if we're if we're not playing our own bowmaster or if whole breacher is sort of inconsistent or it, it doesn't feel like it's doing enough for the slot then like leaning towards the axis that stops them from actually deploying all of those resources becomes a pretty interesting spot which is also a space that Acast does not interact with. Like when it comes to uh, opposing mana bases or like you said, uh, opposing enchantments or whatnot, like it doesn't have ways to deal with that unless it's playing the, you know, yeah, random or maybe like yeah. that's it. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that Acast might be in a space where it's been a top deck for however long now, ever since Kappa Cannoneer came out, right? Or yeah. Saga, Kappa Cannoneer, and then it became a deck that maybe it's been around and is a mainstay long enough now that it's time for it to go through uh, its first evolution, major evolution since it's been, you know, this... I would say it, the A-cast deck, you know? it, it's been doing that this summer with the automaton builds. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's that's the true first, like, pivot was like, oh, we missed this card when the... when Like, we should have been playing with this card since the deck existed, right? And then and then just now, like, you know, the past, like, let's say eight months, people have been people have been playing automaton, realizing that, that that is good. But it does change fundamentally how the deck works. For me, I was... You know, like, I was leaning heavily on Saga to do all the work. Like, if you've watched any of our casts where I talk about, you know, coming back from a tournament, I'm like, 
prioritize Saga, win the game, right? And now it's not necessarily prioritize Saga and win the game. It is prioritize getting out a threat on turn one and not losing and then untapping and making it huge and just trying to like stay in the game for long enough to, to win. And to me, based on the play style that I've, I've been going through, what happens to me is I am immediately in the wrong, I'm in the wrong zone, right? Like I found myself playing against people being like, okay, turn one, I'm going to play this. And then they're like, cool, doomsday. And I'm like, I could have done things differently to like not lose to that. I went mm-hmm. too hard into playing this route and I should have been playing, you know, a more effective game in the, you know, against, against all the decks instead of just being like, I'm going to be an aggressive deck and, you know, against decks like like Maverick and stuff, like they don't care if you have a one one that they can't target, they'll just block it. Maybe patchwork is, you know, it was good momentarily when Delver was the the major target, but if the format's gonna be a little bit wider, you know, having your Tarmogoyf on turn one, even if it's it, it can get huge may not actually be good if it's if top decking a Tarmogoyf in a later in the game when you don't have the so, the the spear to attach to it, maybe it's like yeah, maybe yeah. automatons not the action, not the optimal way or not the optimal position to be in. Particularly because if you have automat, like you also have to imagine too, right? If you're on automaton and like kappa and like all these stuff that point removal is otherwise really soft against, then Emery is just going to be a lightning rod at all times. My know? other, my other thought, Phil, is um, you know, so there's you know the the Urza Lord High Artificer build uh, that you can do. You know, you can you know, change things around a little bit to make that work, which is fine. I think that that's interesting. But if you're doing that, then I feel like you kind of want to be on Painter. And if that's the case, like maybe I should be playing Blue Painter instead, be, basically be a combo deck instead of being an aggro deck. And, you know, that's a whole, you know, that's a whole discussion about like where I need to spend my money at. But um, I think that might just be the stronger build of the deck and the one people aren't expecting. If Emery is the best thing to be doing, and you need to ensure that it lives. The one thing that it has that all these cards have in common is they are legendary. I, I mean, I know Ottawara works really, really well, and it and it was what a three of back when it was yeah. like a, a a ton of size and a ton of memories and stuff. I mean, if you wanted to play that sort of plan, like it's I, I don't know if it's totally out of bounds to be trying something where you're a little bit more interactive. Right, you have more interaction instead of instead of like early beat Tarmogoyfs because then you can go over the top with your engines. Right, Urza Saga's an engine. Emery's an engine, and if you can protect your engines, or outmuscle the uh, other players, as opposed to like being low to the ground and trying to like pummel underneath, which yeah. is good if you're on the play, but bad if you're on the draw. Like Automaton gets way better on the play than it does on the draw for obvious reasons, yeah. right? Whereas like Emery is always just a great turn one play if you know that if if you assume that you get to untap with it. Like even Chalice of the Void in the dark isn't necessarily good on turn one. Like you no. always you always slam it for X equals one in the that blind. Was, That's that the was point actually one of the mistakes I made. Is I was like. Okay, I had the option of a, a turn one chalice versus a turn one automaton, and I was like, I think I, I think like just let's see what happens if I get too aggressive, and literally just lost the game immediately. Is the shell essentially like if you if you could play eight emeries, you'd play eight emeries? I I mean yeah, so like you know that's what welder does, right? Like they they're just like on engineers and welders, uh, red painter, and that seems to work out for them. The other option is like, you know, there's still experimentation time. I could be playing with uh, one rings and stuff and Emery and mm-hmm. try and make try and make that a thing. I think there's a lot there's a lot of room to to brew in the eight cast uh, meta and not every deck like it's like it's like the the red prison decks, right? You've got red prison with blood moon, magus of the moon, all that stuff. And then you've got painter as well. And and somewhere there's a there's a there's a in between on those two styles of decks. And I think that that 
there's a lot of and there's a lot of room in between there too. There's a lot of people playing like kind of kind of like it's a little bit of this, it's a little bit of that. But I think right now blue artifact decks only have like blue painter and eight cast, and there's probably room in the middle to to uh, maximize off of uh, using the uh, one ring. I mean, there's the PO deck is doing that, right? Like using the one ring and keys and stuff to do stuff. Is that is that what that one does? I forget. But there is a deck that uses the keys. Uh, I think that that's the that's PO the the PO deck. Yeah. So it's PO. There's also like the Mystic Forge deck, but that's not blue. So the, yeah, the Mystic Forge deck has kind of seen its seen its day and and gone and gone in a different direction. The Mystic Forge decks are no longer Mystic Forge decks because they'll just they're just playing. They they have like slightly different plan and better cards have been printed since then. Yeah, you also have to assume that PO is just the uh, or, or whatever version of PO that it evolves continues to evolve to is probably just the better plan because you have similar power, but then you also have interaction where otherwise you're playing a glass cannon. You know something something I wondered Phil uh when you know when cuz I didn't get to watch the final between uh between Tony and uh and uh Swifty time you would think that Hole Breacher would be great against PO cuz the deck's not like full of removal the PO deck doesn't have like the removal base you know it's been so long since I cast a PO and played vintage do you like have to choose like let's say you cast PO and I flash in Hull Breacher. You already targeted your things, right? And you have to draw draw cards, draw cards, as it were. Is that how that works? It's been it's I mean, been yeah, so you, long. PO targets. Yeah, so it, you would bounce all those things, and 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 I don't think they're they're maze, they're must draws. So you would you would get the crate. So you would think that Hull Breacher would be pretty good against that deck. And you know, I guess I guess they weren't able. Uh, Swifty time wasn't able to le- le- uh, leverage it. There there is a nod to. Bowmaster and Hole Breacher on the sideboard with uh, what, what's the, the, the it's one in a colorless minus three minus three. It's uh, not warping well. It's the other one. Something. Uh, oh, twisted something. I, I know what you're talking about. No. Uh, the Eldrazi like uh, twisted experiment card. It gives a creature minus three, and it's one and a colorless mana, not generic mana. That is your essentially your Doom Blade for all the creatures that you care about. Yeah, and you know it's like that is there instead of it deals with everything. And you, it's it's one mana in that like you can tomb it and kill whatever you want. You can ancient tomb to cast it. Yeah. And lever- the fact that you're a deck that does need that is trying to ring for a bunch of cards that you don't have to spend as much um, life yeah, to life kill to a thing. And there isn't anything that there, there's nothing that the deck cares about that the whatever the card is. But there's nothing that that card doesn't kill that dismember does like the 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 additional minus five versus minus three there's nothing in the format that punishes what the deck's trying to do i mean you can see that there's like there's been some reps right there's it's it's understanding what the things you care about are you wanted to move back into figuring out what a cast looks like i remember i was watching a justin ganari video uh, where he was playing Vintage and he had uh, Phyrexian Metamorph. That's and a card th- th- too. Th- th- there seems to be some interesting space of like, okay, the, I think the one the one constraint of eight cast, because it's not attacking a mana base and it has limited interaction in that like the number of force, like it has stack interaction, but it has less on board uh, removal. Yeah. So it's like, it's got like Aether <laughs> Spellbomb that maybe is recursive. It's got Odawara, which, okay, you have your one shot. Because those aren't permanent answers to whatever it is that you're trying to deal with, it means that you kind of ha- are stuck playing i mean you're not stuck but like you're really incentivized for everything that you do to be proactive at all times even your answers yeah and so because hole breacher is this reactive answer even if it's a three two it's a three two that doesn't help any of the rest of what your deck is trying to do the idea of metamorph it can copy your thought monitor it can copy another big construct and just be a you know a three mana 
8-8 or whatever. The fact that it's flexible in that regard. Also, if your opponent plays a Bowmaster, you're like, okay, play this, copy your Bowmaster, shoot your Bowmaster. And it's, it's so it's like, it's an answer while still being proactive. Like it gives you the option to be proactive. Like, does it stop like the draw engines? Like, no. Is there other ways to deal with that stuff? I think so. I, I feel like looking towards a space that like the colorless space of like nuking stuff, like there are colorless options, even if they're expensive, but I feel like that's better place to lean than the reactive cards. You yeah. know, because the reactive cards give your opponent time. They give your opponent ability to maneuver around it. If you play a whole breacher against me, or if I think a whole breacher is going to play it against me, I don't have to move. Yeah. And then if you're like, well, I have to keep pressure on, and then you move, then I get to respond to you moving. You know, like you don't have the narrative in that scenario. You know what I mean? The ideas of something like Urza, Lord High Artificer, or Frexian Metamorph, or any of these other tools, it, it keeps you in a proactive space. So you can continue to control the narrative and advancing your board presence. And then if there's anything that you need to deal with to like solve those problems, Particularly like if you're like, okay, I need to, a way to deal with this thing. Even if there's a colorless answer that's really expensive, right? I know there's probably like the one mana, like pay five, destroy a permanent or whatever, right? Even in that space, it's like, okay, well, if, if we want to play something like that to deal with a problem, granted, it's not good, but like, hear me out. The idea being best options for us in this space, and we're not trying to splash, then what's a way that we can then enable those things even more? Something like Urza being a nice mana boost can then also put you over the top and help you rebuild and do a bunch. You know, it's like it, it just keeps you proactive. And I feel like that's a, a really optimal space to be, particularly if we think that E-Dub is going to be wide. Like that uh, card's uh, one spatial of the, contortion, by the way. Spatial contortion. It's spatial contortion. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons that I know we had the episode about miracles and the reason why like I've found Up the Beanstalk to be invigorating for that style of show, even though I'm still figuring it out you know i've i, I had a good 4-0 then i had a bad 1k and then i came back and had another good local so like i'm back and forth because i'm still like figuring it out what i like about beanstalk is that it's a proactive threat it's similar to what counterbalance was for me right where it's like i can in the blind proactively cantrip to this proactive thing that's going to advance my game plan I, I anything that doesn't contribute to that if you're like well this is a problem if it's not contributing to the rest of the deck it's going to feel bad when you draw it if it doesn't exactly convert in the way where your opponent agrees to it converting it's what we were talking about like earlier with Vela Summer Vela Summer feels really good but like your opponent also can just choose to not have it be good for you it's like if they know that you're holding up Veil and have to port yourself for the Veil they can just continue what they're doing and not thought seize and then take control of the narrative of the game. And then the second that the shield on Veil is down, then they can thought seize you, right? So like they control the pace of that game, even if, you, if, they, if they suspect a Veil. Now, if they walk into Veil, great, game's over. You got blown out. It's not always like that, you know? Even though it's good, it's not always that good. Hull Breacher, like, yeah, if they, if they fire off some, if they fire off a Brainstorm randomly into your Hull Breacher and you fucking get them, congratulations, you got them. That's somebody who's not thinking about it, in which case, okay, you, you got the one person who wasn't thinking about it. But like, you're not going into a major event trying to beat the people who aren't thinking about it you yeah, know exactly you're gonna play a long tournament against a lot of good players and they're gonna be thinking about it i mean this is wanna... this is probably going to be the highest skill test of the year for any any legacy player like this is where you go to play legacy it feels hard for eight cast to play from behind if it's not playing psi or or like or if you don't have multiple sagas or if kappa cannoneer isn't exactly the haymaker in the matchup that they can't deal with yeah. right which is give and take like not every matchup is the same kappa cannoneer is really bad against fast combo right like it, it's not it, not all the tools are for all of the all of the jobs it's really hard to like if you're playing patrick automaton which means that you're you're, you're lower on the number of size you have i mean psi was the best way to to recoup from a meltdown right yeah it's like okay sure you meltdown i'll play this side and i'll just blow my load again and now i have a, a, a lethal board again good luck try and figure out your thing and then if you recur your meltdown or whatever or cast another one great i still have the side you know I'll, I'll just play a couple of draw twos and go off again and then rebuild right and you can rebuild so like side is very good from playing from behind and like checking a, and, and controlling a board because of the thopters and whatnot and playing in a high resource 
situation. Regardless of even if your opponent has the answer, a card like Psy still gives you the narrative of the game. Because it's like, okay, I can melt down your board. Either you converted, if you had extra mana, you converted some of those artifacts into card draw anyway to, to, to recoup. Or you just get to go wide again if we're still in a high resource situation. Meltdown's power level is only at, tied to how many seed of the cyanide that you drew that game. That's all, like, there's a lot of variables, some out of your control, you know, in, based on how a draw lines up. But like, it's an answer, it's a roundabout answer to a problem that keeps you proactive. If you want to stop your opponent's engines, then the way to do that is probably either you go over the, it's an arms race with an engine, right? Like you have a better engine than they do. You have a engine that compels them to act or you do something that stops them in an inadvertent way. So like if, if Hull Breacher, which doesn't keep the narrative in your favor, right? Like it keeps you at parity and the tension remains. Yeah. But if you can go, okay, if they go Beanstalk and you're like, cool, tangle wire you. Yeah. Tap you down for three turns, right? And if you can, you can somehow get that back out with Emery, like that's... That's just like one example that I'm thinking of. I'm not necessarily saying that it's great, but like it, it is an example of like, it has versatility in that like, okay, you, it, your opponent, it, it puts your opponent in a position where they can't leverage their engine, yeah. but still keeps you proactive. And then it's like, okay, it can tap down your blockers. It can, you know, time walk while you can continue to advance your engine because every turn that they can't do or, or any any turn where they are stymied in their development it's another turn with your emery it's another turn where you're getting the urza saga and inventing your thing it's a couple more thought casts like it's not a direct answer to the beanstalk but you're not trying to necessarily play an infinitely long game you're you're an aggressive creature deck no, you want uh, you your know, game to be to, relatively short in truth yeah come out the gates in the early game dominate the mid game and hopefully kill you before we get to the late game now there's staying power the deck has staying power which is why it's so good it's versatile it's a lot of angles i were playing eight casts I would look towards things like Sai. I would look towards things like Tameshi, you know, yeah. which is, I get off the beaten path, but it does pick up a saga out of the yard. It, yeah. it can rebuild from, from a meltdown or other types of destruction effects. And it's also a legend. So it keeps your auto wires high. It keeps your blue count high, but it does something similar to what Sai does, which is it helps you rebuild, but it does something similar in the Emery space where it's another Emery if they, you know, deal with your Emery's. So you can go turn one Emery, they fight over it. And you're like, okay, turn two, slam this Tameshi, play a, an Opal bounce my land back, rebuy, you know, wh- whatever, one of the lands that were flipped over from the Emery, and now I have my engine back online, you know, so it, it, it's proactive. That's yeah. all. It's it's proactive. And it's not necessarily direct answers to the problem in a way where it's like a control mage. It's just like, I'm going to counter it on the stack, or I'll just remove it with a removal spell. You know, it, it's, it might require some out of the box thinking, but I think that I will still be respecting eight cast to its full extent. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, I, have... I think anybody who, who thinks that they won't see eight cast is, is probably very mistaken. The deck is obviously still very much alive. It just has lost a few points from there though. Uh, maybe we should talk about the berserk decks, right? One, one last thing on it. Cause I know that you brought up the ring. If I were playing a cat, I'm not an eight cast mage, but if I were playing eight cast at EW, or if I was testing for it, and I was looking at a four drop, I would be looking at Urza Lord High Artificer heavier than I would the one ring. Yeah, I think you're, I think that's smart. A, it helps you rebuild. It's another construct, so it helps you beat up on Urza Saga Mirrors. The fact that it can help you go way over the top in your mana over your opponent, and the activated ability for a sync, you have a lot of really good hits out of eight cast off yeah. of that sync, right? Like you flip any of your draw twos, any of your additional threats, like that's all really good stuff. The the ring is good if you're playing a ring deck that's abusing it. But if you're trying to stay proactive, I would lean towards something like Urza or something like Sai. I, I, the idea of Tangle Wire seems really appealing to me in this moment. I, I just don't know what players are thinking. Like how, how like if the answers to you are energy flux and and meltdown, and you're like, all right, in your upkeep, tap down all of your fucking lands. Good luck, right? Like yeah. you don't you you like when you need the meltdown, you need it immediately, right? Because yeah. otherwise, you get chunk for twelve. 
like you don't have time. And it's like, if I, if you just stymie that for a turn, get you. And that all, all that comes down to honestly is, you know, so many, so many uh, patterns of play with, with eight casts are start with saga, throw down the ancient tomb, get a guy untap, get a guy, throw on a, uh, you know, play another ancient tomb, throw the, uh, what's it called onto, onto it, Uh, throw the uh, shadow spear onto the thing and attack. But, if instead of going to get the shadow spear, you play the ancient tomb, get an opal, and play a tangle wire, that's as good. That's as good as dead. You know, your yeah. who cares if you're gaining life? Your opponent probably only has like two or three things on the board. You know, there's so much space for the deck to you know pick and choose its battles. I don't think it needs to be like a cast is so flexible. The problem mm-hmm. the the problem facing a cast is that there's so many different angles that it would always have. It's like, are you going to get buried on multiple draw twos? Are they going to have a chalice emery draw? Are you going to have a psi plus force draw? Any combinations of all of that, right? Like the, the fact that you can never act like when when you keep a seven against a cast, you're like, I mean, it's it's good against some of it. But, yeah. like, if they just draw any of the other ones, and then you just yeah, get buried in that the way. other half of the deck, yeah. I mean, the deck the deck feels like it always is running on two axes. It's either doing Saga stuff, or it's doing Kappa stuff. And I, I see Kappa stuff, but really Automaton. Either you're killing all of your bobbles to draw more bobbles and, and make your guys bigger, or you're just stay, keeping them on the board and, like, attacking with creatures that your opponent basically gets two for one just for dealing with. To simplify the take on Hole Breacher, if you're the A-cast player, remember what your role is. If your engines, right, like you were talking about, like, oh, it's tough to play against Dark Ritual or Fast Combo or whatever, that's why you have the full suite of eight forces across the 75, yeah. right? In which case, you're the deck that has to stop the opponent. If you're going to play against the deck that's trying to stop you, don't try necessarily and stop them. Yeah. I remember a long time ago, we had the conversation where you, you were like, we were talking about some random control list. And I was like, I would never play something like this because it just assumes that the answers line up and your opponent has to agree to it. Like, I want some kind of proactive something in my control deck. Yeah. Even if it doesn't seem like it's proactive, play it as though it's proactive. And I remember you were saying, dude, that's, I could never do this. I want to be able to present threats. I want to be yeah. the one that controls the narrative of the game. It's just like, not my style, even though I am the Dirtle Magus, right? To that extent, that's what I mean. Like, don't lose sight of that. Like, if you are the eight cast player or, you know, any other deck that's in a similar space, like, don't forget, like, if you're the proactive deck, if you're the deck that's presenting threats, present the fucking threats, Yeah, you know? Unless a deck is, it doesn't care about it, and then you have to, you know, switch roles, then switch roles. Looking at you, Dark Ritual. Yeah. But otherwise, like, who's the beatdown? Don't forget. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the other two decks I'm looking at are Berserk decks. And so, you know, I, I would be playing, like, a green, like, a Sultai version of Death Shadow with Berserks. Or I'd be playing the deck that I want to more talk about, which is Infect. And if, you, if you're if you curious about Infect, we just got the deck deck from Fremers Cloud, so check yeah. that out. It just looks like it's going to be kind of underrated and worth worth checking out just because knowing that people don't re- really remember how to play against 8-cast completely, you're going to get a couple of people just on like, whoops, I forgot, I shouldn't have done this during attack. Oh, you know, you find the vast wooded into the wind against me. That is appealing to me. Uh, and, and it was appealing when I was playing the deck as a as a alternate to my Rug Delver deck. It's just like, okay, everyone's seen Rug Delver. I'm going to switch over to this, you know? I have played against a lot of split second in my lifetime. Like, I have faced many a Crozen grip back in the day. I remember how much of a terrible experience trying to play against split second is yeah. or navigate around split second. Luckily, I was a counterbalance player. So, like, you can set up the counterbalance because, like, you actually can counter split second with a counterbalance trigger. Uh, but you have to have the thing on top already. You can't 
you know, do any shenanigans in between. Uh, I think a lot of people don't really know how powerful split second is. If you try and imagine split second in gameplay and you're like, oh yeah, it's really powerful. And then it actually happens against you. Yeah. Like when somebody actually like, like just goes, all right, quick reflexes. You can't do anything. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of this. Um, judge. The, the people will go in response and you're going to be like, you're going to Dikembe Mutombo them and you're going to be like, you're mm. going gonna to literally see the like seven stages of grief or five stages of grief happen like as as like you play against somebody with that card. I think. Yeah. The one thing to remember about Infect 2 is that the deck did not have removal beyond did not. berserking the opponent or post board when they would board and source the plowshares. But like other than that, the deck was just trying to get you dead or like not care about your creatures with like flying and unblockable stuff. Yeah. And now that they just have this proactive thing that can also deal with an opposing threat, that's a whole new axis that Infect did not have before. Yeah. And I think that like if 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 you're sleeping on it, don't. I don't know how many people other than you and Fenris Cloud and like, you know, committed Infect mages are actually going to pick up Infect and play it legitimately at EW because two things about it. It's not like everybody just has ink moths and and four traps that they're ready to sleeve up and play with noble hierarchs, yeah. you know. But the other thing is, you do not want to pick up Infect without reps. Who no, yeah, you do no. not want to do it. Don't do it. Don't do I, that. I tried two weeks ago uh, when I was playing the, you know, Vines and Royal Treatment version of the deck. And I just, I was soft, you know, like I just need to, I need to, I need to toughen up and, and really, and really get in more rugs with the deck. You know, I'll be playing in a, in a local this, this coming up week and I'll try and see if I, see if that works. I, you know, depending on whether or not I decide to play that deck or fool around with eight cast, but almost by, by the time this episode comes out, I'm almost positive. I'm not going to play death shadow. I, I think for a few reasons, one of them being, I think, I think, yeah, like we were saying before, like scam is a, is a better deck, but me being able to be like, Oh cool. I'm going to play, you know, the berserk version of the deck was like a neat nod to not being able to play infect. But now that I can play infect, why wouldn't I just do that? Right. Yeah. I, I, I think that Scam is a better version of Death Shadow. None of the, like, Death Shadow gets hit by a bunch of removal that the rest of the threats just don't. And the deck just like, straight loses to uh, to Chalice of the Void on one. Right. Scam, the the deck is not as fast yeah. as, like, a Delver Death Shadow type of variant, in, in its, but it's still a Days deck. Yeah. But then also is, is still trying to leverage the fact that it's a reanimate deck with the new troll. Yeah. And so, it, it, like... Puts a lot of uh, tension on the play draw. Uh, if, if you're playing scam and you, you if, and you're not proficient, like you need to know how to navigate games very differently on the play versus the draw in a way that feels a lot steeper than most most. Like obviously, you're usually advantageous if you're on the play with any deck that you're playing. Yeah. But particularly one where it's like you're a day's grief deck. You know, you you really got to get online. Scam is going to be super popular. And so people are going to be prepared for it. And that's also something for people to keep in mind as they go into EW. It's like, are people going to be prepared for what you're playing? And if so, what are they going to be prepared with? And then go a level beyond that and be like, okay, what are my answers to that? Do I have the space in my deck to to salvage that if I'm easily stopped by some kind of hate? You know, it's like if you are a four reanimate deck as part of your your suite of threats, you know, and Merktide is also uh, one of your threats, you're really pushed into the graveyard. Yeah. And if people have ways to stop you from accessing the graveyard, a la like your the Layla and avoid mono black decks, it's gonna be tough, right? They can just put zero mana, your threats don't do anything for the rest of the game. And now you're stuck with like a bunch of six mana threats that you can't cast and griefs, and that's your only way beyond Bowmaster. And it's gonna be tough for Bowmaster to go coast to coast. Yeah. I, I, agree. I, the, 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 I don't know what the point was beyond just like again, know your role. Yeah. You gotta know your role. Zach, I look forward to uh at the very least meeting uh you at the uh finals of a side event. Yeah. Where, side where event this time boss. 
<laughs> right. This time I will, I will, I will avenge myself. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think from there, let's, let's quick, ch- let, like talk about your journey the last like week. So we had that 4-0, then you played in a 1K and, and what did you like, 0-3 drop? So what I found was as I was playing, when I did really well that one time at the local and I ran through a, like a, a good range of decks right like i faced a uh, face combo i faced mid-range i faced control i got a good suite of what i was playing against what what i found was is i was playing in uh, a sense of very low stakes i had been on such a losing streak that i was like okay let me try this thing new i'm gonna you know i i was way calmer when i played and then what i found is when i played at the 1k and then when i played at my local yesterday i found like when i got that 4-0 i i was like looking back i was like i don't there were a couple of spots where i punted and it cost me but in ways where I was like, oh, that was a learning experience. Yeah. Where then afterwards, where I was like, okay, well, now I want to prove that that wasn't a fluke. And then I punted way more. I started punting yeah. way more because I had, <laughs> I got like put undue pressure on myself to like be clever. Yeah. But I didn't need to be clever. I should have just like done the straightforward play that was just, that was better in the moment. And I was falling into like my own trap of like wanting to feel clever and be like, oh no, I came up with this. Like, this is, I can, I can navigate around it in this way. And that'll give me in these kinds of positions that like, you know, if we end up in that future, like I want to be prepared for it. And it was just like, or just, you know, deal with the problem that you know is the problem, you know, like don't, don't contrive a future that doesn't exist. Assuming that you want to be ready for the thing that you're never going to face. Yeah. It's like when I, uh, when I, uh, Fanta- phantasmal image that guy's uh charlotte's agent yeah that's like yeah. trying to be cute for what it's like, for what reason no reason and <laughs> like sometimes that's warranted like you know we're, we just spent most of the episode talking about how Acast solves like a very unique problem that it's trying to solve right yeah. and in in ways where it's like if we're trying to identify and solve a problem be clear-cut to what the problem is or what the circumstances of that problem are and then be realistic with the, what the answers are even if like you want to do something fun or cool or whatever, or, you know, it was, it was a learning experience in that regard where I was like, I think that there is something to this list because Beanstalk gets a lot of the clout right now. And yeah. as it should, cards, obviously excellent. And, you know, there's no denying that card is very good. Being able to draw cards at instant speed, having an engine that like going long, yeah. um, the fact that they stack, like there's endless good things to say about the card. But one thing that is also really valuable about my kind of miracles is that it's also the Mystic Sanctuary deck in a way that no other deck is the Mystic Sanctuary deck. It's true. And there's, there's a lot of tools that can be leveraged there and a lot of uh, flexibility that can be leveraged in that. I think what I found was I got so caught up in being like, okay, yeah, I'm going to try and abuse the the beanstalk and I'm going to do these cool stuff with the beans and I'm going to, you know, it's like beans can just be a good card yeah. and your good cards can work with your good cards and you can have good cards synergize with good cards and it can be good. Yeah. And you don't have to go too in the weeds trying to like play around all the stuff when you can just remember what your deck does. I, I just played uh, at the local yesterday and my, I had a streak of games where I was just like, man, I feel like I'm just in the pocket of these games, right? Like I'm playing tight. I, I know what I know what matters. I'm thinking about what matters. Like at no point did it feel like I was out of step with what was going on in the game or, or where the game was progressing or what my role in the matchup at a given time was in the game. Of course. And yeah. then there, and then what will be nice about looking at those games versus uh, a game that I just played actually against uh, Benucci, Chris Benucci of 90s MTG. I, I played against him. And it, you, we could watch that one back that I play against Chris. And there's just like a, a consistent sequence of punts like that lead to a position where I lose with resources and access to tools that would help me not lose the game. Yeah. Right. And it's not like, oh, 
it, it was a continuous sequence of punts that like led to the next punt and it was all bad and it was bad. The actual baseline punt was just a misassessment of what the role was in the game. And it's because I was trying to get too cute. It's very reminiscent of the whole breacher thing, right? Yeah. I, 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 I put myself in position trying to keep the tension for my opponent to stumble. But then if your opponent is good and understands their role in the matchup and understands what their deck is supposed to do in that in those circumstances, they're not just going to let you line up this like cool play that like pays off in your head, yeah. you know? And I walked myself into a position where I'm like, this will happen, then he'll do this, and then I'll get this, and it'll be ABC, clean cut. Yeah, And that's just not the world that you play in when you're playing against good players. And that's it, it was a great learning experience with a new deck that I do think has legs as I continue to evolve and, 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 and figure out the best sideboard cards and ways to deal with the problems that it has. But like, it's been a fun reminder to be like, remember your role. Yeah. Remember your role. I'll, I'll, t- I'll give one example before, uh, if, then if there's anything else that you want to yeah. uh, touch on for this episode. I want to bring yeah. up, yeah. But there was, re- there was one really good example where he cast a creature that gave him the initiative, right? He thought seized me and he recognized that I didn't have an answer for him to slam an initiative creature. So he slammed his initiative creature, took the initiative. I then went, okay, I was, I was testing out solitudes. So I went instant speed, solitude, your thing, uh, beanstalk trigger, flip it and treat put two angels into play, take the initiative. And then he went and then spanned a bunch of creatures. And then I was like, okay, I have access to terminus this board and hang on to the initiative. Okay. But what I did instead was I mystic sanctuary for a force will on top thinking that I was going to be able to find a blue card off of one, uh, off of my um, next couple of draws underneath that force to then protect everything with the angels. Okay. But like, now that seems fine because my angels are bigger than everything that he's doing. And if we're just going to trade back and forth and also my angels were a two-turn clock, like there was a lot of tension where I was like, it feels like I should just, I, the, the roles have reversed and I should be the beatdown. I have the initiative. Yeah. He's on a two-turn clock. Like he doesn't have blockers. Like even if he takes the initiative back, then I'll be able to just swing for lethal. He will have to put like flying threats into play. But we were in a developed board state. He's a, his deck is a flexible deck. He understands, you know, how to navigate. He understands what my deck can do and what, what the potent threats are. So I put this force on top instead of Terminus to then clean up the board and just hang on to the initiative, Yeah. which my deck is the Terminus deck. Yeah. I'm the Terminus deck playing against the creatures and I have the engines. Yeah. I have a Beanstalk and the initiative. There's no reason for me to be thinking, no, not I to can mention, do this cute. Not to mention, like, just one fetch land puts you back in as the aggressor, right? Like, well, that, But that's you know? what I mean. Like, <laughs> I, 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 got, I, I was just like, oh, no, I can do this cool thing where I solitude this thing and then I can make angels and then I can put them on a two-turn clock and then I can beat down and then I have, the, like, control over everything. But it's like, I gave him, I allowed him access to all of these tools that I otherwise just never needed to allow him. Yeah. Right? And that was just a, it, it, it's a, it was a, a it was a, a series of punts that I made because I misevaluated my position in the matchup in that spot. And I should have just recognized I was like, I have the engines. I'm ready to go long. Let me not let him get access to any more resources and close the game. There's, there's, there was no reason for me to hold the tension. Yeah. Right. I should have, I should have relieved the tension. I should have simplified, but I misevaluated my, my role and got punished for it as I should. Yeah. And so that's, as I've like been, trying out the deck it's also been the fun reminder of don't forget your fundamentals don't forget your 101s and what yeah. your deck is trying to do Th- these new cards and like new interactions with the new cards have made me be like oh i haven't played solitude in a long time oh i haven't played solitude with beans before i'm gonna do all this cool fun tricky stuff and it's gonna be awesome i'm gonna do all these sweet cool clever things 
And it's just like complicated and clever for the sake of it. Yeah. You know, terminus, therefore beans, therefore sanctuary. Like don't get lost in the, in the, in the mess of the other things if you don't need to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get lost in the sauce. Like your structure is working. Like if the structure works, follow, like that's your role. Like there's, there's no reason to not follow. So if you're the ACAST player, you're, you know, trying to come up with other deck and you're finding that you're not having the kind of success that you want. Remember your fundamentals, like what's your deck trying to do? What's the axis that it fights on? What are the problems that would stop you from having that engine or being able to fight on the axis that you want to fight on that you can supplement your your structure with and, and just go and, and, and and presume that your homework is good, you know? Like if you're competent and you think your homework is good, trust it. So I, I want anybody who's playing Miracles, I want to uh, address a thing I learned this week in the comments section. A few people pointed it out, and I'm sure you probably already know this, Phil. Entry on one draws you a card with beans. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Uh, so that's that's an interesting thing because it's looking at the casting cost of uh, <laughs> the Entreat. So that's cool. And then the other thing... Uh, I, you know, I think to sum to sum all this up is just like don't get cute. You don't need to get cute. Just play solid magic and and win your games. Like don't do funny things. Like this is an EDH. Don't do silly stuff just to like you know get a reaction. You know, like that's that's something I have to tell myself a lot because I do play EDH and sometimes I'm like, oh, I want to do the splashy play. I want to cast the the one of in my deck. You know that kind of thing. Like no, don't do that. Just win the game. Win the match. Yeah, it was a good reminder. I mean, particularly like we have this channel, we have people that are, you know, asking us about, you know, what what's our take on XYZ type cards or, you know, trying XYZ things and first time winning in a while. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm the smartest guy there is. I did it. I <laughs> yeah. can do anything. And then getting punched in the mouth essentially yeah. was like the nice reminder of like, no, man, like worked before because you trusted what you did and that was good. And, you know, you it's like, yeah, the cute, fun plays come when your structure is working and you're navigating it properly. Yeah. Like when your deck does a powerful thing and it pays you off for doing that powerful thing and you can navigate that powerful thing against your opponent's powerful thing and you can do it in an, in optimal circumstances under both time pressure and stakes pressure. That's the impressive thing. Yeah. The, 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 the cute player, whatever you made, that's that, you know, that's a, a, a nice touch of sugar on top, but it's not the meal. No, nobody, nobody's going out for just the dessert. We want the meal. You're trying to come on with a trophy. Well, I think that's that's a good place to cut it from here. Uh, thank you, everyone, for watching. Uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, all that all that fun stuff. Um, if you have a chance and you have the means to support the channel, uh, patreon.com slash eternaldurtles. We've gotten uh, a couple of new subscribers over the last couple of days. So, uh, you know, anytime uh, people can help us out uh, keeping this thing alive, especially now that I've, I'm not just doing the channel anymore, that will continue to motivate uh, us to continue making great content for you. So, uh, anyhow, thanks so much for watching, and we will catch you next week. Trust your homework. Okay.